Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. And the Lord bless you is my prayer. I hope that these are a blessing to you and that you are reading the scriptures yourselves. We are in the book of Romans, and we are continuing bit by bit through Romans. We're taking it patiently and looking at the depths of what God has for us. So I'm in Romans chapter 5 today, and I want to read verses 5 through 8, and we're going to discuss these today. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to talk about these particular verses today, and let's see what truths we can glean from these. In verse 5, we discussed verse 5 a good bit yesterday in the last episode, along with verses 3 and 4 as well. And we saw in the wrap-up of that that the focus is on the love of God, being rooted in the love of God, and that we can make it through tribulations and sufferings and trials because we are Rooted in the love of God, the love of God does not disappoint. We know that he loves us no matter what hardships we have to go through, and nothing can separate us from that love. So I just want to point out a little bit more about verse 5 here, and that is to discuss the root system, because the root system is what will hold a tree in place in times of storms. From a solid root system, also the bark and the sturdy part of the tree will grow. And that will help the tender plant inside, the tender stem inside the bark, to be able to withstand the storms and the trials. The bark hardens and it, it's a defensive for the tree, for the plant inside. It reminded me of watching, let's say, some pictures, weather pictures or something, when a hurricane comes perhaps to one of the coasts, and you will see maybe the palm trees, and you will see them just being beat and, and turned and tossed here and yon, but they are not breaking. They are able to withstand in the hurricanes. It's interesting that I, I did a little bit of research about the palm trees, and I found this quote I wanted to read you. The roots anchor and stabilize the long trunk of the palm tree so it will remain standing. So with the palm trees, I found out that their roots do not go very deep and they don't do tap roots like many other plants and trees do that sort of go down deep and stabilize them even further but the palm tree will spread out its roots very far at times, 
you know, somewhat coordinate with its height, but it can spread out its roots for, you know, up to maybe 50 feet or so. And those roots are fairly shallow, but they're in search of water and they do stabilize the tree. It reminded me of a couple of passages I want to read real quick from the Old Testament. One is in Psalm chapter 1, and it's verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man or the woman, it means mankind, the person. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is talking about the person who is walking and delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in his word, thinking upon his word, concentrating, reading it, studying it, letting the Lord speak to them. And the comparison is like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. There's a companion verse to this same passage in one of the prophets, and we're going to read that now. It's in Jeremiah, and it's in chapter 17, and I want to read verses 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Those two passages are companion passages, and both of them are speaking about the person who trusts in the Lord, the person who thinks upon and reads and studies his word, and they have their hope in the Lord. It's not disappointing them because God's love has been poured out in them, and their roots are grounded and firmly planted in the love of God, in knowing the love of God. And so this tree that it speaks about in Jeremiah and in Psalm reminded me of these palm trees and the, the way that they're rooted they're rooted by that coastline. They're rooted in the soil. Even though their roots may not grow very deep, most trees do, but their roots do stabilize them and they go out and they branch out in search of the water and the nutrients that they need. And those roots help to stabilize those palm trees to withstand the storms. And that's the point. The description of those fits a palm tree and we see how they are stabilized and can withstand even hurricane force winds. I want to now read Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read beginning in verse 14, and we'll read through 19. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants us to know the love of God and to understand his love. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in love because of Jesus' blood through faith in his name and our justification coming as a result of that. We can be rooted and grounded in love and we will not break even in hurricane force winds. And sometimes the storms of life can come as if they were hurricane force winds. The love of God will root and stabilize us to endure storms of life. And then we can reap the fruit of the process of that pressing to the praise and glory of God. We talked a lot about the process of the pressing and the purpose for it is to bear those fruits in our lives. Praise God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we see how Paul now explains this love of God and shines forth boasting about this love of God. The same love of God that has been poured out, gushed into us, this amazing love. And so Paul uses these things, these verses here, to help us understand it more fully. He says in verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in other words, he's saying when we were helpless, we were weak, we were feeble, we stood as weak, guilty, stained sinners before a holy God with no other help and no hope on our own. We stood in bondage, slaves to sin. We stood unable to free ourselves. We stood powerless to free ourselves. But in due time, in kairos is what the word is here. It means at just the fixed and set time, that appointed time that had already been marked out way back in the annals of history, God had already appointed the perfect time. I want to read Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This verse only attests to what Paul said here in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6, in due time. 
in that appointed time, in that kairos time. In Galatians 4, he says, in the fullness of the time, meaning when that time had completed, when the full number, the full measure, the full amount of days and years had been accomplished. That's what it says there. I've used this example many times before, but I can't really think of a better one. I, I love it. It's like a kitchen timer that you set when maybe you are going to bake a cake or roast a turkey or whatever it may be. And so you set the timer, you, you prepare your food, you get the cake mix all together and you pour it in the pans and etc. You fix your turkey up, you get it all like you want it and you put it in the oven and you set the timer for whatever the time should be, whatever the time needs to be for that thing to be perfect and completely done so that it's ready when that timer dings and you can then pull it out of the oven and enjoy it and do whatever you need to do with it. It's that kind of imagery that helps me to understand this better in due time. In other words, it's as if God set a timer and all through history, all the way down the line, from the time that he set it, it keeps on ticking. That thing just ticks away little by little by little by little by little, all the way up until finally in that Kairos, perfect and appointed time, the timer dings. And now Jesus comes on the scene. Let's consider that for a minute. For instance, the very first messianic prophecy noted in the scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So let's say the timer is set right then. Genesis 3, 15, the word comes out of the Lord's mouth. The promise is given and the timer is set. That particular timer had a 4,000 year ticking away it was set for 4,000 years. It wasn't quick, but it was still continuing to tick away the whole 4,000 years. It's interesting if you read the next chapter in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, even Eve didn't know the timer was going to be longer than she expected because when she got pregnant with Cain, she thought he was the fulfillment of that. You can read that in Genesis chapter 4. But that timer, ultimately, we know now, had about a 4,000 year ticking away until it dinged when Jesus was born. The second one we could look at is Isaiah seven fourteen, and even Isaiah 9, 6, both of those two prophetic words, given about 750 years before Jesus came on the scene. But all the while, they're ticking away, ticking away. There's a third one we can look at from Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. That one was given about 550 years before Jesus came. So these timers ticking away, ticking away, ticking away until finally we come to Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 and 2. 
And then guess what? Ding! The timer dings because the Kairos time has come. And it's the appointed time for Jesus to be born. And even after that, throughout Jesus' life, even after Jesus was born, he knew exactly when his appointed time and day was and when it wasn't. It was prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, that at a certain point, Messiah would come, and at a certain point, Messiah would be cut off or killed, but that he would be killed not because of himself, but for us. It wasn't because of his own sin. It was for our sin. But even Jesus knew when those appointed dates and times were. Notice this, for instance, in John chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, they were wanting him to come. They were asking him, you know, it was Feast of Tabernacles. Are you going to be coming? You know, etc. And it says in verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. In other words, you can believe in me always. Go ahead and put your faith in me now. And he goes on, verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. Then, if we look in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, Luke chapter 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Now, Jesus knows He's very close, and it's time that he, the Passover Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world for all who will believe, must be killed. He knows that it's the time now, and his hour is getting closer. Then, in John chapter 16, verse 31 and 32, it says this, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Then in John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. So Jesus was well aware of the perfect timing of his Father. He was well aware of when his hour had come and when his hour had not come. He knew that God makes all things right and beautiful in his time, just like Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says. God has perfect timing. 
And so Jesus came in due time at the very hour and day that he had been destined for. And he died in place of the guilty sinner. And he paid our sin debt in full when he died. So Romans chapter 5 tells us here that he came at the perfect time in due time. Now notice in verse 7 and 8, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. So get this. He's using a logical example to explain and reiterate for us the amazing nature of God's love that he told us about in verse 5 that has been poured out in our hearts. He says, if it's somebody that's a righteous man, yeah, you might find a person that might would die. Scarce chance maybe one in a thousand. For a good man, maybe somebody that's a little bit higher up, somebody that's a little bit more wealthy or well-known or more gracious, more generous, etc. For a good man, one might dare to die. Maybe even scarcer possibility. Maybe that would be one in a million. But, notice this, but God. I love those two words because Paul is about to tell us here the amazing truth of the love of God. For a filthy, stained, guilty sinner, you would expect Paul to say, ain't no way, ain't nobody gonna die for that person. Nope, nobody would even remotely die for them. But notice what Paul says. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates, he has put it in a strikingly, strikingly obvious, blaring point of view. He has framed it beautifully. He has exhibited his love like a masterpiece in an art gallery would be exhibited. Because Jesus dying for us while we were in our sins, is the masterpiece work of art that God has put on display that demonstrates clearly and exhibits the beauty and amazing nature of his love. Think about that. While you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his own life so that you could live, so that you could be justified by faith, so that this amazing love 
could be poured into your heart and it would give you hope and staying power through all of the trials of life. Jesus loved you that much. Jesus loved me that much. His amazing love is a beautiful masterpiece of art. Hallelujah. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that, Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.